welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games. Little, short ones. The kind of thing you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend. But more importantly, the kind of games that can try things that larger, big-budget, AAA type of games just can't dare or afford to try. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am back this week with the full complement of co-hosts minus Nate. Um, Nate is very busy this week preparing, I suppose, for his upcoming wedding. We're all very excited. Uh, but uh, more importantly, uh, joining us again after his long Much absence, more importantly than Nate's wedding. Exactly. Much more importantly than Nate's wedding. Uh, I am joined this week by my bro host, Shane Kelly. How are you doing, Shane? Reunited and it feels so good. Oh, God. I don't know whether I'm going to cut that <laughs> or not, but well... Uh, I'm glad you're back, Please Shane. Please keep it in. Like a phoenix, Shane has risen from the ashes. <laughs> I'm yes. back! I'm back, again. baby! Oh, yes. Guys, it feels so good to be back. Laura, I'm so happy to see you. Reagan, uh, we've chatted a little bit during the uh, during the interim, but it's so good to be back on the show. It really is. So I'm so sorry, Shane, that your house was broken into and all of your podcasting gear was stolen. Yeah, they, uh, they came into my house... They stole all my stuff. They stole my big old iMac, which I chose That's specifically for its powerful graphics card. Uh, they stole my <laughs> PlayStation 4. They stole my iPad. They stole basically all the piles and piles of computers that I kept lying around. And uh, let me tell you, it was, it was some dark times. Uh, first thing that I replaced, thanks to you and the other Laura in my life, uh, was... My PlayStation 4 just to get myself back up on the on my feet, and uh, it was good to get back to gaming, but it's even better to get back to the podcast. Sorry, I didn't mean to ramble on. I'm just so excited to be back on the show, guys. <laughs> I am also excited to have you back. It's okay. The enthusiasm is welcome. And I am also joined this week, of course, by Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing great-ish. I did break my iPhone screen today. Ugh. Oh, but other than worst. that, I'm great. Was the best of times. Twas the worst of times. It's been a it's been a trying few weeks for us all, but uh, we're back and we are talking this week about actually a pair of games, the Spider Games from Tiger Style, and uh, so we're gonna first talk a little bit about the original Spider, The Secret of Bryce Manor, for iOS, and then also. Uh, and that's from 2009, all the way back in 2009. I cannot believe that it's been that long since this game came out. And uh, we're going to also be yeah, talking incredible. about its brand new sequel that came out just this week. And that's Spider, Right of the Shrouded Moon. Yeah, so um, I don't know if, if either of you guys have... have being, getting, getting all your, your crap stolen is a, is a weird experience. Uh, but as it's, as it's relevant to, I don't know if you've ever had a, a big robbery, Laura. Uh, minor ones in college, but nothing huge. I mean, I was broke, so anything was a big deal, but. When Shane and I were very little, we had our Betamax player stolen on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. Oh. I forgot about that. We had all the good Superman tapes. Yeah. Well, they left um, the Superman tapes, so, you know, that was okay. Yeah, well, we could never play them again because they were Betamax. <laughs> but uh, I think we also had Coneheads on Betamax. Those, oh yeah, those yeah, we totally did. And also, I really um, liked that one. Oh, you know, no, 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 you're you're wrong. You know, we had we had Coneheads on micro VHS because Dad had bought uh, that camera that um, that Sony was marketing as like a combo VCR and 
and camera. Their big thing at the time was selling movies on micro VHS, the little mini cassettes that they uh, they had uh, for recording in cameras. Oh yeah, so weird. And so they had like a little miniature VHS tape with cone heads. Sorry, why am I remembering that right now? And moreover, why am I talking about it? <laughs> it's all... Well, you're the editor, so you can always take it out. I was talking about uh, about what I lost. The biggest thing that I lost, guys, uh, was my saved games on all of my uh, consoles and stuff. So I, I thought I could trust um, PlayStation Plus to store all my PlayStation saves in the cloud, and I, I lost all that. And then I lost all my... Uh, games on my I lost my Windows license key which I had never thought to write down anywhere that wasn't on the computer uh, so I've lost all those uh, they got my backup drives which had all my game saves and that's I guess mm. the only part of this that's relevant to this show is that uh, all the games that were in progress I'm now back to square one so I'm gonna have to try and figure out a way to get back up to speed that sucks I'm sorry man well, yeah, fortunately, well. you're back on the ball this week, and uh... yeah, the the cool thing though is it was kind of wiping the slate clean. So at the end of the show, I want to talk to you guys about actually a a ton of different games that I have been playing, uh, several of which I've I've even beaten in the time since I've been on the show. So um, hopefully, uh, there's something good that can come of this. A new beginning. New beginning. So this week, we're talking about two games. As I said at the top, we're talking about Spider the Secret of Bryce Manor, uh, a game that came out on the iPhone only about a year after the release of the App Store. So, you know, 2009, this game is like six years old. I can't believe how long it's been since this game came out. And now we have just recently gotten the sequel to Spider from Tiger Style Games, uh, Spider Right of the Shrouded Moon. And we're going to be talking a little bit about both. I've most recently played the new game, Right of the Shrouded Moon, but I have a huge affection for the original. So I thought we'd start by talking a little bit about why that game is still so interesting uh, even six years after its release on a platform that some people, when it came out, didn't really take seriously as a as a gaming platform. I mean, the controls are perfect for iOS on the original game. I mean, we even used them um, in the kids' lab when we were trying to figure out how children will use the iPad or the iPhone. I remember giving this to um, kids to try to see if they could swipe precisely for to test and because we didn't have a... Um, a good beta build of our iOS app yet. And we just wanted to make sure, you know, how precise we could get it because on Spider, there's a lot of precision required. Um, and we could kind of see based on where the spider ended up, how precise the children were. But outside of using it just as a, you know, dummy demo, I loved this game. I thought it was really um, a great mechanic. Love collecting the bugs and then loved finding the little stumbling on the secrets and piecing together um, the larger story because you didn't really have games that had both, you know, one touch, you know, easy mechanics and had story behind it. You kind of had one or the other at that point in the app store. And this was saying, you know, a casual game can have a lot more meat to it. I loved it. Absolutely. This game only came out a few months after Angry Birds, if you can believe it. The original Angry Birds was like 2009. And this was, I guess, in 2000. No, this was August 2009. Yeah. So this would have been about the same year as the original Angry Birds. And mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of incredible to think about that. I mean, the original iPhone came out in 2007. The App Store 
itself didn't open for business until 2008. This is one of the first games out of the gate on iOS as a platform. And it's one Absolutely. of the games that defined iOS as like you know, what new experiences, what new types of controls and new types of experiences yeah. will people be interested in on iOS. I remember that when I first started playing games on the iPhone, I mean, I got uh, Shane actually was working for Apple at the time, and I stood in line for four hours or more to get Shane to then sell me an iPhone 3GS, excuse me, 3G on launch day. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then I immediately went home and downloaded every game available on the App Store, which was something that you could do at the time because there were like 100 apps on the App Store or something like that. Yeah, this was the specifically, I remember the very first platformer that I played on the iPhone. And yeah, I, think I, I was maybe pretty right. skeptical at the time because I was not really sold on the idea of playing touchscreen games. I, I thought, you know, there will be a very different kind of game on touchscreens. I thought yeah. um, puzzle games. Uh, Field um, Runners was one that I thought was kind of uniquely suited to. That was around that time, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, puzzle games. Um, RTS was a genre that I was sure was going to take off. Mm -hmm on the iPhone and, and on touch screens, and it did to some extent. Not as much as you uh, you might have thought, though. Yeah, yeah, this is a much more traditional game than than what I was kind of expecting to really enjoy on this platform, and it turned out to be something really unique and special that hasn't been duplicated. Yeah, I, I remember playing, th this was one of the first games that I played on iOS that had any sort of story whatsoever. Um, to kind of set up the game for people who may not have gotten a chance to play it, you know, maybe you didn't have an iPhone at the time or it passed by your radar, Sprite, Spider the Secret of Bryce Manor uh, is a game where you play as a spider and you are exploring an, a large old empty house. Bryce Manor. Yeah, Bryce Manor. And there's sort of two parts to the game in a sense. There's this very arcade style bug catching mechanic where you have a limited amount of silk and you use that silk by jumping across different gaps in the you know landscape to build webs. And then your webs catch bugs and you eat those bugs to accumulate more silk. And there's sort of a high score aspect to it. Sort of it's kind of Pac-Man-y in a in a sense. Like you're you're using your limited resources, uh, both time and web, to uh, to catch things and eat them. A big part of that is the combo mechanic, which I think yeah, it's, it's kind of Pac-Man-esque because, you know, if you touch the ground, if you get off of your web, your your re, uh, multiplier resets and you're trying to kind of web up the whole level so that you catch all these bugs that are kind of swirling throughout. And as you've once you've collected all the bugs you can, maybe maybe used up all of your web. Now you can climb from web to web, eating every single bug that you manage to catch and uh, building up a huge multiplier and getting a great high score, which is a really fun uh, mechanic that you don't see in a lot of platformers. So it, it has sort of an arcadey high score element that's kind of built into this platformer that is a, a part of what I think makes this a particularly unique game. You said platformer, but it also has so much freedom. There's a lot of exploration. I mean, you can take yeah. this little spider, you can crawl across any surface except shiny ones, um, <laughs> and you can fling yourself into the, you know, just across the entire stage, even if you're, um, the, you know, the string that you're trying to um, you know, spin your web from doesn't quite reach. You can still fly across. You can fly into the air in fun arcs. Um, there's a lot of freedom of motion and I think that helps because since they have so many embedded secrets in the level this I can go anywhere I can explore anywhere my tiny spider body fits means that you're you know going 
up drain pipes, into trunks, into pianos. Um, you, you can go anywhere. And I think that something that I loved about the first level was um, the level design was exquisite and tight. Um, something that changed in the sequel was where you might have a single stage, you know, one part of a room. They opened that up in the sequel. But I remember loving the kind of compactness of room-to-room exploration in the original. Yeah. Um, it let me replay and you could be very ingenious where you put your webs um, because of the great design. That freedom of movement is really what makes this game amazing. And it's one of the one of the few kind of concessions to gaminess. Like if real spiders could actually jump as high as this spider, I would carry a can of insecticide with me everywhere <laughs> I went. They'd um, be terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, you can jump like super, super far and you can you sort of string up the whole level. And, and that's what the level design is really what makes this game. Like it, you've got this um, this house that feels really fully fleshed out. You know, it, it's 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 that fun kind of it's sort of the same thing we see in like Katamari Damacy where you've got like an ordinary setting kind of recontextualized because of your size, you know? Yeah. Um, and you're exploring it in all these new ways. So something as simple as like, you know, a potted plant becomes a really exciting platforming stage without having to be, you know, full of moving platforms or anything like that. So that's the, the level design is based on this sort of real world um, area that really feels good and feels real to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes um, I see a lot of um, designs where everything in the level is special. You know, every single book on the floor means something. No, it's a house. I mean, my one of my most memorable levels is bathtub where almost <laughs> everything is shiny so you can't land on it and you have to go around it in the first game. Um, you know, that level may have had a secret in that level. I don't remember. But it was still fun to play on its own. Yeah, and it is fun to play. But there's also... There's also a sort of another level of the game. What I think makes it so interesting and probably what uh, what keeps people coming back to it and why I was so excited about the sequel is that in addition to being a fun sort of arcadey experience where you're playing as a spider and catching bugs and eating them, um, you're exploring this space and it's a really excellent example of environmental storytelling. It's a little sort of mini gone home at the spider scale. So as a spider, you're exploring this space. And what I think is actually most successful and fascinating about it is that you're a spider. You do not care what happened in Bryce Manor. But you, the player, at, through this level of abstraction, like you, the player, do notice these things about the world. So there's sort of two games going on. Your spider is eating bugs and racking up a high score. It's a bug hunt, man, a bug hunt. <laughs> and and you, the player, are, are exploring the space and discovering the story of the people that lived in this abandoned mansion, Bryce Manor. Um, there's tons of Pictures and frames of the people who used to live there with little inscriptions. There's hidden secrets. There's even whole secret rooms. There's, I think at one point, a dead body in one of the rooms. So it's very clear that something serious went down in Bryce Manor. Um, the spider doesn't really care, but you as the player do. And it gives you this really interesting sort of extra layer to the game. There's, There are secrets to explore, but... It doesn't really gamify the story, at least not in this first one. And that's something that we can talk about. It kind of contrasts with the second one, which does things a little differently. But in the first game, the story 
is something that you pick up on environmentally as you're playing the game, and it does sort of reward you for finding secrets, but it doesn't make the story central to the experience. You could easily ignore the story completely and focus only on high scores, or you could easily ignore the high scores completely and focus only on exploring the space and discovering the story. In the original, that, that was something really, really unique. It was just that they had clearly taken so much time to really artfully draw all of these levels that the secrets of Bryce Manor uh, really kind of seemed almost like Easter eggs. You know, they, they were just sort of scattered throughout. Uh, I'm not even really clear. I can't recall exactly if it tracked whether or not you had found anything. I don't think so. No, it didn't have any kind of progress meter. Yeah, I think it was just, just a, a testament to the artists involved in making the levels that they managed to include all of these really cool secrets. Yeah, for those playing along, it's a little like does not commute in that there's a great story, but it's not something that you need to pay attention to to succeed in the game. That is a good comparison. I, I, I have not really gotten far enough in does not commute, but you're right, it really had a a neat level of story that is sort of... Adjacent. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting, but it's also sort of something that you can ignore if you don't feel like paying attention. Yeah, I love it when games have that arcade feel and then just sort of drop the story in as a way to kind of add additional interest rather than just than, than necessarily making that the drive. Some examples of some of the ways that it, it gives you this story while not really beating you over the head with it and lets you discover things as you go. Um, you know, there's there's uh, love letters all over Bryce Manor, and you can't really read them, most of them, but, uh, but you get a sense that there was an illicit romance and that these love letters are hidden in sort of bizarre places. Um, there's a, uh, a wedding ring that you find at the bottom of a drain pipe and why is it there? We don't really know for sure, but you, you put that piece together with some of the other things that you find and you start building a larger story. And there is a final room that you have to kind of unlock once you've found all of these secrets. And uh, by finding that room, you do sort of, it sheds light on the larger story and you, you it, it does sort of reward you for seeking out some of these secret story elements uh, at the end of the game, but it doesn't make that a core part of the gameplay focuses on the fun high score mechanic while sliding that story, you know, slyly under the door, you know. Let's talk about this new game. So it's been how many years? Six years. Six since years. That amazing first game. And Tiger Style has gone on to make some other games, which I have sadly not played. Although, Laura, I believe you've played Waking Mars. I have. Waking Mars is um, just elevator pitch digression. Um, Waking Mars is um, you are colonizing Mars. You're kind of a, you know, a single astronaut who gets abandoned and you're running around through caves. And you're basically watering plants and bringing these underground cave plants back to life um, as you're trying to work out because you have to get the oxygen and the you know the atmosphere in the caves clear enough to break open the organic dried matter on the walls it's 
it's lovely. There is a, a black woman narrative as your commander, which I always like. Um, great voice acting. It's very peaceful. You are running around watering plants in a platformer. It's unlike anything I've ever played. Hmm. I never got around to playing that for some reason, and now that I think about it, I'm not sure why. I would have skipped it, but Touch Arcade gave it its game of the year, which was crazy because I had never paid attention to it. And and that's what kind of made me do the, you know, pull the switch. Yeah, now that you mention it, I really have to get on that. I know it's also out on Steam, and I think it's even out on a couple of consoles. I forget which now. Well, the, the newest game, which they've been working on for at least the last two years, um, I think they actually announced it in 2013, which is... You know, it seems like ancient history now. And actually, somehow I wasn't aware this was... I mean, I'm a huge fan of Spider, and somehow I was completely unaware that they were working on a sequel until just a few days before it came out. So the new game, the Rite of the... Sorry, I keep forgetting the title. The Shrouded Moon. Yes, Rite of the Shrouded Moon uh, is actually a multi-platform release, which I'm really excited about because I think one of the reasons that uh, that Spider didn't get as much attention. I mean, it was it was well regarded, but I don't think it got quite as much attention as it probably deserved. It was probably that it was only on the iPhone, and it did eventually come out on the iPad, and I think also very much later eventually came out on Android, but because it was a mobile-only release, I think that certain folks don't take that sort of game very seriously. Um, Spider, Rite of the Shrouded Moon, is out on a bunch of stuff. So right now, you can buy it on the iPhone and on the Google Play Store, and on the iPad, of course, it's a it's a universal um, app, so you can download it on your iPhone and or your iPad. It's also out on PC, Mac, and Linux through Steam and the Humble Store, and it is very shortly coming out on PlayStation 4 and PS Vita. So big multi-platform release for this game. Yeah, I think I'll actually probably play it on the PS4 because I just feel like it'd be fun on a big screen. Mm -hmm. I played this on the iPad and it's beautiful on the iPad. It's a great uh, platform for the device. Obviously, this game is really designed around touch controls from the beginning. But I I also played it a little bit on the uh, the Mac version and tried it with the keyboard and mouse controls and very briefly with the gamepad controls. And in some ways, I actually really prefer them. There's some really nice, uh, like the jumping is a little more reliable in what direction you're jumping. Sometimes my swipes are a little, I don't know, arced and I would swipe and end up jumping in a direction I didn't expect, but I didn't really have that problem with the uh, the desktop version. So I'd say there's probably not a wrong version of this game to play. What are the controls on desktop? You uh, use the keyboard to move your spider around and you jump with the mouse. So huge multi-platform release. And it's also a much bigger and in some ways deeper game than the first one. Um, whereas the first game, we played through a series of, of levels, each one representing a room in the mansion, and each level was very self-contained. Here they've really expanded things a little bit, and uh, we're playing over the entirety of Blackbird Estates, a sort of manor house plus some asso associated buildings and grounds, and uh, each area of the estates, and there are six of them. Uh, has its own set of rooms. Each room actually has sort of subsections. So it's enormously bigger than the first game. And the rooms have these different subsections that are usually different perspectives. So where in the previous game, we were only ever seeing each room from a single perspective, a 2D 
uh, side view of the room. Here, we'll sometimes have different views of the same room. We might have uh, facing the west wall. We might have a view from above, which is brand new for this game, uh, where we're uh, controlling the spider from above and he's crawling around on the floor. We might have a, uh, you know, a, a crawl through a crawl space and suddenly we're in the same room, but facing from a different direction or uh, a secondary room that overlooks one of the other parts that we've already been in. So each area s seems a little more fully fleshed out. Yeah, I will say it does make it a little more... Um... A little daunting sometimes to try to get all the content. Um, the rooms are, you know, where you might have a single stage, you might have three or four, and you might not know until you finish because you unlock the portal by eating bugs pretty quickly. Um, you might find that you've actually only found half of the bugs, which means you probably also missed a hidden room or two or four. The levels are longer, and they're looking for you to really work to get all the secrets. I think that enhances the replayability, though. Uh, th there's a lot in this game that enhances the replayability. Yeah, I would say it, it's definitely going to take longer to finish this game. And I should say right up front, actually, this is one of the rare occasions where we're talking about a game that I haven't 100% completely finished. Um, this game has some really interesting mechanics that actually kind of prevented me from finishing it in time to talk about it on the show. Each each of these six areas of the uh, of the mansion and grounds has a mystery, and the mystery is usually sort of a puzzle. One difference between this spider and the previous version is that in the last one you uncover little secrets, little hidden areas. Um, it would just kind of give you a little token that would help you piece together the larger narrative. In this game there are those little secrets as well, and there are also clues that you store and use to solve a bigger mystery. So you can still have the little narrative building love letters, for example, but the clues you have to actively piece together in order to unlock the next room. It's kind of building, you know, where there's only one category of hidden thing, there's now hidden rooms and hidden clues and the hidden secrets. It's just kind of getting exponentially bigger, um, which is partly why you'll play a level and think you've completed it. Um, I played levels for a really long time, getting that level clear where I've eaten every bug, just because I was using that as a marker of, have I actually fully explored this level? Can I move on? And even so, I have to go back when it's raining or it's at night. Yeah, we didn't talk about that yet. This game introduces some, uh, some new options where each level can be played either during the day or at night, and during clear weather, or during rain. And on top of that, the game tracks the phase of the moon, and sometimes that has an effect on the game as well. So when you're playing this game, you know it checks your location based on, depending on your version of the game, your GPS or your IP address or something like that. And uh, it's going to try to show you the game world at the appropriate time of day and in the appropriate weather. Uh, for me, what that meant was that some of the stuff relies on it being raining, and I'm, I'm living in California where we, you know, haven't heard of rain in a while, and um, <laughs> so I had to fake it. They actually do give you a way to fake the weather. There's a weather machine you can activate in the, uh, in the settings that once per moon phase, which is actually works out to about once every three days, um, you can activate a weather machine or a time machine that will change the time of day between day and night or change the weather between n raining and not for about 30 minutes of real time. For example, there's a windmill in the game 
that depending on the time, uh, depending on the weather, will either turn freely or not turn at all. It sort of wiggles back and forth. And uh, because there's no rain where I live, um, I had to activate the weather machine in order to progress past some puzzles that involved that windmill. So it, it does get a little frustrating because it feels like a lot of fiddling to, you know, get the right conditions. Um, I think the developers kind of intended this as something that would like allow you to come back to the game again and again and explore things a little differently and discover new things. But for me, it felt like a little bit of frustrating gating where, you know, I know exactly what I need. It needs to be raining, but I already used my weather machine for the, you know, moon phase. And now I have to wait for the moon phase to change. And then I can set the weather machine to rain. And then I have to hurry and do everything that I possibly need to do in the rain in 30 minutes and then wait another three days for that to reset. And that I found extremely frustrating. Maybe that was just because I'm playing on a deadline and maybe I'm playing a little differently than some folks do, but I found that pretty frustrating. Yeah, I do think that for people that are going to be playing this kind of in a more casual way, that's going to be just sort of a fun thing to discover. I know that it did happen to rain while I was playing for the show. And I didn't finish the game either, uh, but it doesn't have to do with the gating. I, I got, uh, when it started raining and it started raining inside the game, it was a really delightful little moment for me. And it was kind of fun to go back and re-experience some of the levels I've already played in a new way. For the weather, another thing that I think was neat uh, is that I'll just point out that they are using forecast.io which is from the maker of Dark Skies, yeah. which is a great weather app. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, just really nerding out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's pretty cool. My I, favorite I, weather I'm app. Right. Out a little bit myself. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys are on iOS and you need are in need of a good weather app, uh, and you are, uh, Dark Skies is the way to go. But what what's unique about that is that it it has really specific uh, location specific weather that it can actually tell with pretty good specificity whether it's actually raining in your actual location or not. And so, you know, if it ever rained here, I'm sure I would be amazed by how accurate it is about whether or not it's raining. <laughs> it is kind of cool because it makes you feel like it's down the street. It makes you feel like uh, the, what's the name of the estates here? Not Bryce Manor. Uh, Blackbird Estates. Blackbird. Yeah, well, it does kind of, it just, the fact that I look out the window and it's raining and like in the game it's raining, it just kind of makes you feel like, oh, I could go down the street and turn into a spider and there I'd be. I mean, I use Dark Sky to see, is it going to rain anytime in the next hour? Should I, you know, kind of time when I was going to play so I could try to, it wasn't, um, <laughs> Chicago is having a, it's going to rain during my friend's wedding on Friday, I found out. Thank you, Dark Sky. Um, oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, but hopefully it's wrong. It's never wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right to the commissioner of weather. Yeah. <laughs> I came back at night and played a lot of levels in the moonlight. And, you know, I, a lot of the... You know, the atmosphere is really strong in the nighttime. There's a lot of candles. There's moonlight on things, lighting up things you wouldn't have seen. Who's lighting these candles? I don't know who's lighting these candles. I was a little creeped out by that. I always wonder that in video games. When, when you're wandering around in a video game, like, somebody's going around and lighting all these candles. Yeah, Tomb Raider's a big offender there. I thought this place was abandoned, yeah. Well, uh, the other thing about the night and other weather options is that different bugs come out. So it actually tracks a different high score for you for each stage in each weather and lighting condition. And I actually really think that's pretty cool. Like there, there's rare moths that only come out at night and you've got a bug collecting mechanic where you have to sort of catch them all and then eat them. 
That would be a really interesting Pokemon game, actually. Yeah, and I love the fireflies. They were pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's um, gorgeous. All the bugs are really neat looking. And some of the bugs are, like, special. Like, they can, like, some of them are so small they go through your web. And, and some of them are, uh, you know, faster than others. So collecting all the bugs is just another way that they're adding replayability to the game. And there's also a new strong web mechanic. Or was that in the previous game? I'm not totally sure. I don't think so. I think that's new. Yeah, I think that's new. It, you got um, bonus points for more sighted webs, but they um, didn't have bugs that would break your web. That's new in this one. Bugs that are so strong that if you do not create a web, it'll just bust through. Yeah, there's these big ass mean flies in this. I think they're cluster flies. If you build a web that is too small, they'll bust right out of it. I was really confused at first because like a lot of the mechanics of this game, it doesn't do a lot of explaining. There's no real tutorial level or anything. And it never really tells you what a strong web is. But you kind of discover that a strong web is just a large web. Four sides. Yeah, four or more sides. And uh, if it has four or more sides and is larger, actually, according to the developers on the Touch Arcade forums, it's not strictly speaking about uh, sides. You can have a three-sided strong web, but it would have to be just about as big as a three-sided web can possibly be. It's much easier if you have more sides. Uh. So if you have a large four-sided web, then you can catch these larger bugs. And there's all sorts of other bugs that have different catch mechanics, things like ants or now there's these angry bugs, these mean bugs that will um, hurt you unless you dodge them and then come up behind them while they're, you know, sort of dazed after their dodge and attack them like these sort of angry hornets or angry red ants that uh, uh, that have a little extra mechanical difference from the other bugs. Yeah, a lot easier to die this time. Oh, yeah. Only thing I can remember in the first game like that at all was the hornets. Mm -hmm. you, had to, you had to pounce on them instead of catching them in your web. And they were just sort of a fun way to kind of rank up a little bit more on your high score because you would you would chain a bunch of webs together to, to eat a bunch of bugs and then catch one or two more by doing that big giant leap towards the hornets. My bug collection is at 85 percent. I'm very excited. Oh, fancy. Um, yeah, they've added a lot of extra little, um, you know, game centers integrated. Um, after you finish, you can see all your friends and their ranks. There are rankings for each level, you know, from scholar to knight. Um, and, you know, I think they've, I'm sure their Steam achievements are locked into the same system. Oh, yeah, I'm sure um, it's going to have achievements on PS4 as well. Yeah, this also let me know again a couple times when I thought I was, you know, I knew I hadn't uncovered all the secrets. You can kind of look at where your friends are and be like, oh, I've, I haven't seen enough of the room. They're like, you know, 10,000 points higher than me or elsewhere. Um, so if you're trying to get all the secrets and all the clues, um, there's a lot of ways that they will guide you towards it without saying there's a hidden something here. Keep going. It doesn't ever tell you that explicitly. I think we can probably have a spoiler light discussion of the story of this game. Um Partially, I can say, because I haven't completed the game and there are definitely some secrets in it that I haven't yet fully explored or unlocked. But um, what I think is really interesting about this game is that there's clearly more going on story-wise. There's more characters named in some of the artifacts and pictures that you find. And there's clearly slightly more history, more generations of things are happening, both for spoiler reasons and because I'm not 100% sure about any of this stuff yet, having not completed it. We won't go into a whole lot of detail, but um, clearly this uh, the game starts with a quote 
that shows up on your screen uh, and says, A secret society built Blackbird Estate for a specific purpose. Not even the family living there today knows what it was. And then once we enter the estate, uh, we start seeing pictures of the Blackbird family and some presumably friends, relations, employees, uh, other people, including some Bryce's in a uh, possible link back to the original game. Um, there are a ton of characters named here. So, you know, just walking through the graveyard, for example, you'll see the names of at least like eight different Bryce's on tombstones. And so it's it's a lot to keep track of. But there's clearly sort of two levels of the story. There's the level of, you know, who built Bryce Manor in, in, you know, in its early days and for what? You know, what is this secret society? And also there's sort of who's living in Bryce Manor today and what is their relation to that secret society, if any. I, I do have one thing to say about the story, which is that... I played the first game almost, I think I, yeah, I know I definitely completed the first game without really understanding any of the mystery. And I think if I am on track to repeat my performance on the second one. Uh, I mean, I I've actually feel like I've picked up quite a bit, but I, I had to take a lot of notes and I'm still basically mm -hmm. at a conjecture stage with a lot of this, but there's a lot more details in this game that point to story than I think were in the original. So I, I feel like this game has a lot more going on and I'm still, I'm still sort of picking up the details. This game forces you to interact with the mystery and the story more than the first. Um, there were tiny things that, you know, the spider could do in the first one to interact with the environment, like jumping on um, clock cans and changing the time. Um, little things you could do to unlock secrets, but they were all pretty easy. Here now, your, your spider's doing some things that um, a non-conscious... NPC spider would not be doing. Um, <laughs> your spider's going to be getting very adventurous in this manner, um, which is a good thing. But yeah, in a sense, I I think that's a, a both a strength and a weakness. Like there's clearly more story, but I, I thought that one of the most amazing things about the first game was how it told you this story, and yet all of the things that your spider was was doing were really spider motivated. <laughs> Spider motivated is actually the word I was looking for. Spider motivated. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you you, you yeah. were trying to eat bugs. And the reason you wanted these secrets be was because they involved usually opening boxes or rooms that had bugs in them. And usually the things that you would do in order to open them felt like something that a spider might do. Like your example, Laura, of, of, uh, of standing on a, a clock and it moves. Well, oops, you know, but I'm a spider. Or double jumping. Yeah, double jumping is yeah, a spider trait. Yeah, I jumped trait. on it because I was trying to get across, yeah. <laughs> right. But here, we have some things that the spider is required to do in order to continue to explore the space and unlock more areas that are very un-spider-like. Um, for example, there is a puzzle that essentially means a spider is solving a complex combination lock. Well, actually, there's a few <laughs> things where the spider opens a combination lock. Why is the spider doing that? He really likes switches. <laughs> You never know, but the, the spider is definitely doing things that don't feel spidery. All part of the mystery, my friend. <laughs> it is a very mysterious spider. And I feel like it's kind of like, yes, that's a concession that we have to make for these more complex and involved puzzles. You know, we can't have really in-depth puzzles that only ever involve accidentally eating bugs and standing on things. <laughs> but 
it also really does sort of remind you that you're not just a spider. I don't know. It takes this level of, it takes this really fascinating level of abstraction that the first game had where yes, we were controlling the spider, but it really felt like your motivations and the spider's motivations were different even though you were taking the same actions. The spider is your pawn and you are the puppet master. So you really wanted to role play the spider more? That was your complaint about the sequel? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Don't we all want to be spiders? No. <laughs> maybe maybe for a few minutes at a time. That's why this makes a good mobile game. I, I don't necessarily think it's a weakness of the game. It's just different. And I, I do think it takes away a little bit of the magic of the sort of environmental storytelling of the first game by focusing so much on these puzzles. Um, something that the developers said on the Touch Arcade forums, which I thought was really interesting, is that they've had a lot of feedback to this effect. A lot of people like exploring the game, going for high scores, eating bugs, and sort of ignoring the story or picking it up just sort of by osmosis. Um, and enough people gave them that feedback that they're actually planning in the next update to get rid of the locks on the three areas, I think three, or maybe slightly more, that are only accessible by completing puzzles. It is a little arbitrary when you think about it that you have to unlock something in the you know in mansion north in order to get to the grounds you're a spider just go to go to the grounds like there's no nothing stopping you but in this game there is and that's apparently something that they're going to get rid of in the next update well it, it could be something stopping you that like the lifespan of a spider would take you know be completely consumed in walking between those two buildings <laughs> excellent point but uh no i mean but I, I, that's an interesting change like they're they're actually going in and freeing up the content of the game so that you don't have to solve these puzzles? Yes, there's still going to be the puzzles and the areas that you unlock within each area. So the sort of secret rooms that you unlock by completing the puzzles are still going to be sort of walled off. The puzzles are still going to exist, but you're not going to have to complete the puzzle in one area in order to progress to another area. All of the areas are going to be open from the start. I don't know when this when this is going to happen, oh. but they seem pretty sure about it in the in the forums. I think it'd be a big improvement. I think they we should have a talking spider in the sequel. I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they, they've really enhanced the replayability in the new game through a lot of different things. In the new game, you've got collectible bugs. You can 100% the different your bug collection, and it uh, gives you a really fun little kind of pin board of bugs that you can collect. Uh, yeah, and each one, actually, that's a really fun uh, sort of system because each one, you can tap on it and get a description of it. You can see how many of that type of bug you've eaten. There's also a long list of achievements There's uh, that you can get, like, uh, you know, for different things you can do, like uh, juggling a grasshopper or whatever. Yeah, a lot of them are very silly. I love them. Yeah, and there's, yeah, it's a cool stuff. It's, it's, uh, I'm not always a big fan of achievements, but these ones are fun. Sorry, my favorite is the completely cosmetic but really neat unlockable spiders. When you unlock uh, a mystery, you also unlock a new spider to play as, and uh, it gives each one's uh, scientific name and an absolutely gorgeous woodblock style illustration of that spider. I mean, these things are amazing looking. I want all of them printed out as posters. And uh, I won't spoil it for you, but what I think is the final unlockable spider is 
kind of jokey and really weird. I mean, it's worth it to unlock all of the spiders because the last one is hysterical. I mean, I'm also very motivated by the... I mean, I I know everyone likes to give games that are black, but I am very motivated by beating people, getting new ranks, you know, kind of getting my high score up. It it has instant feedback when you finish a level of pulling up the scores, um, which is not something a lot of other games build in, especially ones that are trying to go for something immersive. Um, kind of put it on parchment and ink, so it's a little classier. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look at that dumb, you know, fake velvet game center stuff anymore. Rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> Rich Corinthian leather. I just would really be more into that if I didn't have the lowest high score of, of among all of us. <laughs> Chump. It's a gorgeous game, and uh, if you haven't played either of these, which one would you recommend people play first? I'll play the first one first, I think. I think this one's totally is excellent, but um, it's a bigger game. So if you're looking for a bigger game, grab this. Um, I think the first one is still great on its own. I will, I will go out and say if you are on an iPhone, play the first one. If you are on an iPad mm-hmm. or other device, play the new one. Because it's a yeah, bigger game, and I think it'll work better on a bigger bigger platform but yeah, the first and if one you is prefer to play with a gamepad or mouse and keyboard i think that i mean obviously you can't play the first one on anything other than an ios device or an android phone so i mean play whichever the first game blew me away and it still stands up and i would absolutely recommend it to anybody but the second game is also great. I mean, they're 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 in a, in a lot of ways equally great. There's some things I like a little better about the first game's storytelling, but there's a lot of things that I like better about the second game's mechanics. They're they're just both so great. Play both if you can, but if you have to choose, I don't know, play whichever one is easier for you to get on whatever device you happen to be on. Yeah, I'll second change that starting off on iPhone or small devices on the first one will really let you appreciate the second one and you know larger screens will help you open up that world even more. It's it's worth saying that they have put a, a loving amount of work into keeping one of the very first amazing iPhone games that played that I played on uh, iPhone 3G looking good on an iPhone 6. So the graphics are upscaled to Retina. They even redrew a lot of the stuff actually. Yeah, they they've They've clearly redone stuff. Like there's a lot of in-game photographs and things like that that are clearly redone at a higher uh, higher resolution. And I think they probably went back to the original artwork to redo all of this stuff. So it looks and plays even better than it did when it came out. Yeah, and, and they've added new modes and new... Um, the Hornet was new in the first one. They added new modes. They added a lot of new content as well, big upgrades. Um, so it's lovingly maintained and... They've kept all of their games so far completely compatible with with all the new operating systems. You don't have to worry about this game getting abandoned. Huge props to Tiger Style. Brace Manor is one of the, if I had to come up with a top five list of iOS games of all time, uh, you know, required playing of iOS games, Spider the Secret of Bryce Manor would be on it. And I'd say that um, the sequel does it justice. So obviously we talked at the top of the show about what Shane has been up to. It has not all been good. But what have you been playing uh, since you replaced your PlayStation 4 and got a new computer and now that you're back on the ball? Well, that at least has all been good. I, I have been having a lot of fun 
playing old games and new uh, since then. The first thing that happened, so at the, the, the day that I realized it had been cleaned out, uh, I really wanted to kind of uh, get my mind off of it for a while. And so I, the first thing that happened was I spent a long time playing Puyo Pop on the Game Boy Advance, which I managed to dig out of one of my drawers. Aww. And they didn't steal the that, Game Boy. They did not get my Game Boy Advance, thank God, right? So um, so I was, I was firing up Puyo Pop, and you know I have a huge affection for that game. Uh, but thankfully, I, I was able to, with, with the help of some of my loved ones, thank you, Reagan, get myself back on my PlayStation 4 feet uh, pretty damn quickly. Uh, and so although I've been disconnected from the show, I have been playing a lot of new games. Um, I played and I beat Arkham uh, Arkham Knight. What did you think of it? I, I, I can't wait to play it myself. I loved uh, Arkham City. It's getting a lot of positive and negative press right now. And I come down firmly in the pro Arkham Knight camp. I, I, I had a blast playing that game. Um, so I don't want to give like a full review of it. Um, shout out to uh, Gary, who I think wrote, or who was it that said this game plays like it was written by a car? Was that? Was that, that? <laughs> I think I think that Which, was part of Gary Butterfield's review. I'll see if yeah, I can pick it up for the show notes. Um, uh, and so yeah, there's been a lot made of uh, kind of they they kind of did have to add in uh, the Batmobile. People have been clamoring for them to add in Bat the Batmobile to these games since the first one. Um, and it wasn't a perfect fit, uh, but I had a good time playing every part of this game. Uh, and I, I came damn close to hundred percenting it, but I will not, I will not stoop to the level of, of collecting 250 Riddler trophies. So yeah, screw that guy. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I got all the way up through everything, but like any number of Riddler trophies. The game is a is a really it's an it's a huge achievement. They they've added so many great new things to it. They've got um, they've got a tremendous cast. Uh, they've even kind of cleaned up what I thought was kind of some uh, annoying use of Batman's female cast that the previous games have had. Like I thought I thought every part of this game was an improvement, um, and. They could have they could have just relied a little bit less on the Batmobile, but it's still a game that is is worth checking out if you've if you've enjoyed any of the previous ones. And then I played some other kind of offbeat games just because I I beat Arkham Knight faster than I thought I would, and so I've been downloading some other stuff. Uh, Ziggurat was a game that I've played, and it's kind of a a roguelike um, first person shooter in a big magic. Um, Ziggurat? I've seen that. I haven't played it yet. It looks kind of fun. Yeah, it was it was another one that I, I beat faster than I thought I would. Um, oh, you beat it, huh? Although you can never exactly beat a roguelike. I didn't 100%, you know, gather all the unlocks, but I did make it through to the final boss and beat him. Um, uh, that game is pretty awesome. It's a really, a, a really great looking game. And it was cheap on a, on a PlayStation 4 Sony store sale. And so I, I give that one my seal of approval. The Shane seal of approval. The Shane seal of approval is placed on, on the ziggurat. It's really weird. Uh, you get attacked by, you know, carrots and floating heads and all kinds of stuff. And I'm a fan of anything that's roguelike-esque and anything that is fantasy-themed. 
if I get to wave a magic wand, I feel good about it. So that was a good. And, uh, and after that, I, so I know this list is getting long, but on the iPhone, I've been playing The Trace, which is my very favorite mm. kind of investigation game that I've played so far. Like, really? If you, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I've played games where it's kind of kind of a seek and find, like find the clues to solve the mystery, like crime scene investigation type games before. Um, and this one is really unique. It's got um, it's got a fully 3D environment. You're walking around and looking around, but but without the kind of control issues that kind of come with that, because it's more of a zooming in and zooming out and tapping to move. Um, there's a lot of interactive objects so that you really use the touch screen to like, you know, you know, if you're going to unscrew a panel on a wall, you're going to like use the screwdriver to do it and turn it on your little screen. Um, and it also has a really good kind of clue and hinting system. Uh, so it's a it's a great feeling game. So if you like the idea of like crime scene investigation in a kind of a pocket sized uh, container, it's a, it's a really fun game. I give it uh, uh, again, the Shane Kelly seal of approval. And I have now gotten myself sucked into Far Cry 4. And I swear to God, Reagan, I will, I will suck you in as well. No, no, it will not happen. I played Far Cry 3. Yes, I found will. it horribly. I don't know. I I know a lot of people like that game. A lot of people enjoyed the storytelling. It just didn't work for me at all. I got bored with it oh. after. I, I probably put twenty hours into it and felt like I was getting nowhere. And I was just, you know, a, a, a mailman with guns walking around a beautiful <laughs> scenery and you know, delivering bullet letters to people. It just felt really boring. Well, the scenery is more beautiful. Uh, there are more guns. The storytelling is uh, less likely to make you feel uh, guilty because you are you are no longer the kind of great white hope of this, you know, pirate island. Now yeah, you are the, the native son returning home, uh, which is a little bit better. Um, and... I don't know, man. The only the only thing I have to say about Far Cry is it's a formula and it's a formula that works. Far Cry 4 is is more of the exact same thing you got in Far Cry 3. I'm Ugh. sorry you didn't like it, uh, but I'm going to make you play it because I got to play this thing on co-op. All right. All so right. many explosions to have. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Laura, what have you been up to? Uh, I've had kind of a busy... And then not busy week. Um, I spent Saturday at a conference called AlterCon, which is about diversity in tech and gaming. And some of the talks um, related to short game, um, the woman who started the um, uh, I Need Diverse Games um, movement gave a talk about that. Uh, cool. Basically, she just, you know, um, her, the big phrase that came out of that was like, how could you make more diverse games? And she's like, try not to set your game in faux medieval England. Try any other country, <laughs> and you're probably going to find like any of them. She's like, the medieval times happened elsewhere. Some very cool places also existed during the 15th century. Sometimes, what's easy and familiar in games, um, if we, it's not breaking out of them to you know check a box or be token about it. But if we actually set in other cultures other countries we have a chance to get much cooler games um and she did call out that a lot of indie games are more willing to you know to go outside their uh, comfort zones like you know one we've talked about doing in the future never alone um, i can't wait to play praised. that but i keep not getting around to it that looks super cute it has a little fuzzy fox 
really want to play that. Yeah, Julia it and does. I are playing that. It's, it's really set fun. in Antarctica and it's co-op. Um, and then um, another uh, guy gave a talk that basically said, you know, the order of introducing the screens and character creation means a lot more than you'd think. Like if white male is the standard default and you have to change it, it's putting more effort on people. And so there was a lot of discussion about like randomization in games and character creation. Um, 80 days came up again because of its, uh, you know, you can choose which gender you romance. Um, (laughs) And the fact that although it's, you know, white dudes as lead characters, you meet so many cool other cultures that doesn't really matter. So it was a good day of, you know, there was one very scary talk about, you know, getting harassed on the internet that will probably give me nightmares. But on the whole, everyone there was pretty awesome. Um, I then followed that up with doing a 12-hour, seeing a 12-hour play that was all the Greek tragedies condensed into a day of theater, (laughs) which was amazing. Um, So not much gaming this weekend, but I'm off work this week between jobs. I start next Monday. So I've been playing a lot of Telltale games, um, getting through my, you know, my Game of Thrones and my... uh, Wolf Among Us, and also uh, playing a lot of Philip Wright Ace Attorney. So I got to get my lawyer on, apparently. Phoenix Wright? Um, Phoenix Wright. I said said Philip. (laughs) You said Philip. (laughs) That's weird. Phoenix Wright. Philip Wright is not an attorney. He's not an Ace Attorney. Philip Wright sounds like a plumber. Ace plumber. Philip Wright. (laughs) Not as good of a game. Not as good. I have not had much of a gaming week this week. I've been playing, obviously, a lot of spider uh, but I haven't gotten a chance to play much else. I'm continuing to slowly work my way through The Witcher 3 and Persona 4, and uh, I get to play those games in very short spurts, so I don't have much to report this week. I'm just uh, just continuing my my slow slog through uh, through Velen and through uh, Inaba, and I don't know, don't have much new to report. My boat is coming along okay. I'm still building that. Well, you must. Godspeed. Mm-hmm. Someday you'll get sails. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I uh, I got a uh, actual rank in uh, in Rocket League, so that's been good too. Rocket League is amazing. Ooh, I've only watched Rocket League so far. It's good to watch. Actually, they're adding a spectator mode in the most uh, recent update, and I can totally see myself just turning that on and watching it for hours because I've watched a lot of Rocket League on Twitch, maybe almost as much as I've actually played. And I'm not a Twitch guy. I don't really watch a lot of games on Twitch, but there's something about watching people play Rocket League at really high levels that's just absolutely gobsmackingly interesting. So, Well, for those of you unfamiliar with Rocket League, it's car soccer. So yes, you want to watch car soccer. Yep. It's pretty cool. So um, I'm really glad that we had you back, Shane. I'm really glad that you finally returned from the desert. And uh, I'm looking forward to our next few weeks, which are going to contain a bunch of really interesting games. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You're welcome. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm at 8BitShane. And of course, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. That's Reagan. And you can follow our show on Twitter at underscore short game. Or you can go to www.theshortgame.net where you can find the show notes for this episode and all of our past ones as well as all of our previous episodes. We've also got a feedback form there and we love to hear from you. If you've got a game that you think is interesting that we should check out for the show, uh, let us know. Or if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we love those and they really help people discover the show. 
And thanks so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.